for our following guest, known hip-hop lover uh, and uh, my great longtime friend at the Dallas Morning News, Michael Granberry, joining us now. And, Michael, I mean, you and I have been known to stay on the phone for hours at a time. We can't do that today. we got to get out by um, 355, and I think you've got a place to be. But it's that, good to have you right. on. Well, that sounds yeah. Good. Yeah, it's uh, we'll be we'll be succinct as as we're able, uh, uh, you know, as as you and I can be. But I, the other day, I caught you and you were out in San Francisco, and I think you were about to go see the Giants play. I happened to look it up. I'm like, I wonder how the Giants are doing, and they're doing really well. Like I, it's I don't think I realize. Yeah. yeah, they're they're like 180 games or something. And I figured you finally. You know, I know you have family up that direction, Michael, but you had to leave the Dallas area, just to get away from the Rangers. Is that right? You wanted to go see some good baseball? <laughs> to, to see some good baseball for a change, right? And uh, yeah. I tell you, I was, I was very interested in going to that stadium. I've heard so many things about that ballpark that the Giants play in right, right there by San Francisco Bay. It's changed names a million times, as stadiums are wont to do nowadays. But this book that uh, I've done with Burke Murkison, one of the uh, one of the children of Clint Murkison Jr., the founder of the Cowboys, this book is largely about stadiums. Uh, one in particular, of course, uh, Texas Stadium, the stadium his father created. But it was interesting to see, uh, you know, one of the one of the truly classic uh, American ballparks. Um, it was interesting. So. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up the reason you're on today. You can come on with me anytime. But this book, it's going to come out in 2022. All right, I mean, it's it's, it's coming about coming a year soon. from now. Yeah, a, should, a year from we now. Have it, we have it ready now, and it could. But yeah. the pandemic has pushed everything back, as you know. You can and, slip uh, me a copy. You can slip me a copy. <laughs> let me now, let me give the title before you go off here. The full title right. is Hole in the Roof. The Dallas Cowboys, Clint Murkison Jr., and the stadium that changed American sports forever. Um, now that is a I like the I like the title, Hole in the Roof. And and Michael, as a as a as a kid who boy, you grew up, uh you're you you've got me by a few years, but you actually saw games at the Cotton Bowl. And, and you remember you remember those days and so Tell me a little bit about how this came together, how you decided to do this book with the son of Clint Murkison Jr. That had to be fascinating, and I'm sure uh, as you sat down with him to write this book, you all came over story after story that you, you probably hadn't even realized ever happened. Absolutely. That is totally correct, uh, Matt. He called me a very long time ago. I mean, we worked on this for years. And uh, he wanted to do a book about his dad, which sounded to me pretty much like a biography. And that was interesting in and of itself. But the more we talked about it, it seemed to me that the book had several layers to it. For one, it is a biography about his father, who was the founder of the Dallas Cowboys and who was the owner of the team uh, throughout the team's 20-year consecutive winning streak. Um, also, but he also created Texas Stadium, and and it was fascinating to find out what motivated him to do that. And then, of course, in my feeling, the the book really has a hole in the roof has a double meaning. As you know, there was literally a hole in the roof at Texas Stadium, 
and that architectural element has been duplicated at AT&T Stadium. But to us, hole in the roof has a double meaning in the sense that this stadium thing, to a large extent, has kind of gone off the rails, in our opinion. I mean, so much of it in, in, in the economics of the game today, whether it's baseball or football, is oriented to the stadium and to uh, making as much money as you possibly can. And in fact, at one point, like you mentioned the Cotton Bowl, back in those days, stadiums were essentially city-owned rental facilities, and the only perk you could get was a hot dog and a Coke, or in the case of the Cotton Bowl, a hot dog and a Dr. Pepper. And... Uh, uh, what was astonishing when, when we dug into the research was in 1966, which is the first year the Cowboys had a winning season, and that's when Clinton Jr. really amped up his efforts to try to get a new stadium in da downtown Dallas. Believe it or not, Matt, in 66, the Cotton Bowl was one of the newest NFL stadiums, and it had been built in 1930. <laughs> <laughs> the Eagles were playing in Franklin Field, which was built in the 1800s. And uh, I don't know if you're, you're probably too young to remember this, but but in the in around the mid 60s, many of the NFL teams were were still sharing baseball teams with Major League Baseball clubs, uh, Wrigley Field, Yankee Stadium, et cetera. And um, and Clint absolutely hated that. And, but then he hated the trend that came right after that even more. A lot of stadiums started going to these multi-purpose stadiums where they would share with a baseball team, but it wouldn't be a good configuration for baseball or football. And, uh, yeah. in fact, one of those still exists today, as you know, the, uh, the Oakland A's Stadium. Uh, what is it called now? I mean, the old Oakland Coliseum. But, it, you know, it, it's a great stadium for a pitcher because the foul territory is so big because it's, it was built to accommodate football that it's pretty easy to get a, a foul ball out there. But he wanted a football-only stadium with terrific sight lines that he felt was really good for the fans. Uh, he wanted it to be financed in a very creative, intelligent way, as, as it was. And he he wanted he also was the you know the NFL owner who introduced the concept of the luxury suite um, uh, to the NFL. Now those had existed before. The Astrodome had a few of those at the very top, and and he got the idea pretty much from Aztec Stadium in Mexico City. Uh, but as you know, that really changed the economics yeah. of the NFL. Yeah. Well, I mean, I. In a lot of ways, he was a pioneer, but it's been so long. Jerry, as you know, is sort of credited with, like, everything, you know, coming up right. With, right. With, with all sorts of things. But Clint Murkison Jr. was very interesting. I, I, as you got to know more about him and learn more of him, I, was he about as different from Jerry Jones as anybody could possibly be? I mean, I'm sure he was very right. competitive right. and had a competitive right. fire, like Jerry, but what was the was there were, were there things that you kind of learned in talking to? And that's got to be interesting because his son is probably going to want to paint his dad in the most positive light. But to to do a good book, obviously you need to tell some stories, even if they they aren't particularly uh, flattering. How, I mean, right. that, that had to be interesting to manage. Well, you know, and, and one of the things that that he and uh, you know he I interviewed. Uh, 
we have quotes in the book from one of his brothers who was uh, Robert, whom I think you know, right? Yes. Uh, Robert was um, was very open about his dad. I mean, by the time he sold the Cowboys in 1984 uh, to Bum Bright, that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, he uh, he was basically broke. I mean, he was he was dying of a of a of an illness that was very much like Lou Gehrig's disease, and he was just dead broke. I mean, he he had to sell the team. He was being harassed and hassled by creditors. Um, but he you mentioned that he was very different from Jerry. Could not have been more different in this respect. Um, Clint was all about hiring the right people and delegating full authority to them. And as you know, in any history of the Cowboys, this has been written about a million times. He hired an incredible triumvirate. All three of them are in the Hall of Fame. Tech Schramm, president and general manager, Gil Brandt in charge of scouting, and Tom Landry, of course, of course the legendary coach who was there for 29 uh, consecutive years. And he really gave them full reign. And but but what, oh, one of the things we came across though, Matt, which was was kind of funny to me, was uh, you know Clint has this reputation for being so low profile. I mean, kind of the anti Jerry in that respect, right? Do you know that Clint was was a fifty fifty owner? That is, he did not have a majority share. He ha- he owned the team equally with his brother John, who no one ever heard about, right? I mean, <laughs> you talk about Clint being low profile. I mean. It was amazing. I mean, John owned half the team, and uh, it was sort did of. Did you interesting even find a picture into... of John? Did you find a picture oh, yeah. of John? I, th- I think we do. I think we have one of one of him in there. And uh, one of the speaking of John, one of the things that we go into at great length is Clint's dream was not only to create a new generation of stadium, but but to put it in downtown Dallas. He desperately wanted that. He felt the city needed that in the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination. And we have a lot about the assassination in the book. Uh, Dallas was um, branded the city of hate. It was uh, it was a very ugly uh, period in the city's history. And uh, he felt it would be good for the state, for the city, not only to have a new stadium for this incredibly terrific new team that he had in 66, but to put it downtown. And he even said, he even said, I think you know, we need to move the arts. We need to move the arts from Fair Park and we need to put those downtown. Well, the city fathers of it at the time hated that idea. You know, they scoffed at him. They, they, they thought he was absurd for suggesting that. And as you know, the arts are downtown now. Only Dallas Summer Musicals remains in Fair Park in a building that was built in 1925. But it, everything that he envisioned kind of came true in downtown Dallas, except, of course, uh, for a Cowboys stadium. And I think I mentioned in the text to you before I came on that it's incredible to me that the Cowboys have not played a game in Dallas, Texas, since 1971. Yeah, that is uh, – and, and let's save some of this for when the book comes out because you'll have people right. in Central Texas – uh, in Waco and and all down through toward Austin and College Station, who are going to want to buy this book? I I think it's going to be right. fascinating. It, it, I guess we can't blame that on Laura Miller, can we? The uh, no, we <laughs> that, actually have a lot. Time. We have a lot. I think we have a lot. We have a lot of insight in the book about that. And uh, <laughs> one of the things we figured out: if you're looking for a villain, the Dallas County Commissioner's Court Ooh. was basically the 
kind of the villain of that. They they did not. Are you talking about the second time or the first time? No, no. This was the. They were the villains when 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 people were hoping that Jerry would come to Dallas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I I, I remember that judges uh, Kelleher or Margaret Kelleher or somebody like that. That's right. Yeah, and basically uh, what they what they wanted was they did not want. Uh, the special election at a particular time because yeah. they feared that the group that would come out to vote for the stadium would vote for Democrats, right? And most of these people were, were Republicans. And the Cowboys said, well, we, we can't delay. You know, there can't be any delay. It would have to be then or not at all. And, um, and but, but the thing that happened was all those people lost their seats anyway. He didn't get the vote. Yeah, he didn't even let us have a vote, which is amazing in itself. Michael, I appreciate it and uh, look forward to hearing Thank more you. about Thank this. You. Yeah, great to have you on. And uh, there he goes, you, Michael Granberry, my longtime pal and uh, compadre, back from our Dallas Morning News days. That is our show for today.